I think they've got to go over and ask Noah, what's up with this thing? What are you, what are you doing here? And then he would no doubt tell them because Noah's a what? He's a preacher of righteousness. So for 120 years, this guy builds a boat and preaches. Okay. It's 450 feet long, about 100 um, Sorry, 450 feet long. Uh, let's see. 100 feet longer than a football field. Not quite as wide, but it's got three floors. So think three football fields stacked on top of each other. This thing is enormous. Back to this picture. Back in 2005, when Hurricane Katrina hit, the Superdome was the point of safety for people in the city of New Orleans. Last night I was reading a blog by the guy that was in charge of the, uh, the Superdome. He flies into uh, New Orleans that night at, um, right before Katrina hits and takes charge of the Superdome and is getting ready for all the defenses. And He thinks it's going to be kind of like every other hurricane that's ever hit New Orleans and it's not going to be a big deal and the Superdome will stand up just fine. It didn't, did it? Do you remember Hurricane Katrina? It did not stand up just fine. In fact, it was not the safe place that they thought it was. It turned into a chaotic tomb. Had they not gotten out of there or when they did, things would have turned very, very ugly. What I want you to see, though, is that on the field, in the Superdome, somewhere around 30,000 people lived for five days. Nothing. 30,000 people lived on the Superdome field for about five days. The ark could hold three Superdomes. Why is it so big? You ever stop to think about it? Why is it so big? When you get into the parking lot, like I said, you're going to be astounded by the size of this thing. It, it's, I've done the research on it. I thought I understood, and I stood in the parking lot and thought, it's like a floating Walmart. This thing is massive. And then you start comparing it to things like the Superdome. 30,000 people slept in this thing for five days, and the ark could have held three Superdomes. Why is it so big? He puts two of every kind of animal on there, seven of some kinds of animals. But as you walk through the ark in Kentucky, you're going to see pins and cages for these various animals, and there's still tons and tons of room. I think there would have been tons and tons of room left on Noah's too. And you wonder why. It's huge. Why is it so big? In a culture that is as set against God as Noah's was and as ours is, it takes a determined individual to live like Noah did. If you look in Genesis 6 verse 22... It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Some translations say he did exactly what God commanded him. Here's a guy who is swimming upriver. It's hard. Life's hard for Noah. We don't, we're not told exactly the ridicule and all the things that he endured, but we do know that life had to have been difficult for him as a preacher of righteousness. This guy loved the Lord and he loved his word and he was willing to obey it no matter the cost. And he spent the next 120 years building a boat that no one had ever seen before that was a monster. 
And then he started gathering in the animals. People had to think, well, what in the world? That's about seven days before everything goes bad, before the first raindrop falls. And so it's kind of interesting, right? When Adam was naming the animals, how did the animals come to Adam? God brought them to Adam, didn't he? And Adam named each one of them. Go back and look at the text in Genesis 6 and 7 when Noah brought each one of the animals on board. How did the animals get there? God brought them to him. It's one more way that he is unraveling creation in the judgment of the flood. Interestingly enough, also, once all the animals get on board the ark, you know how long it takes for that first raindrop to fall? Seven days. Seven days. Which is important because in six days, he created everything. The seventh day he rested, right? So there's a week, a literal 24-hour period of creation. When he destroys the ark... There's a literal 24-hour period in which he unravels creation and begins the destruction process. He's unraveling creation. That thought unsettles me. Judgment came, and it will again. But I'm curious as to why the ark was so big. If you look at Noah's life, here's a guy who, like we said earlier, obeys, loves God, and he will do exactly what God's commanded. And he will not leave anything out. He will not cut any corners. He will not halfway obey. He will happily, devotedly obey. And he's the only guy in his entire culture who will do so. Everyone else is only thinking evil thoughts all the time. But here's Noah, who's living a righteous life. Is our culture anything like that? Is the church called to do something similar in our own generation? To be the people who lovingly, happily, devotedly follow him, swim upstream against our culture, who could care less what he says, as we try to bring them close to him. It's exactly what Noah was doing. This story is for us. It's in the Old Testament, but it is as for us as it was for Noah. It's integral that we get what's going on in this story. So why is Noah's ark so big? Look back over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 9. This is the verse I read for us a bit ago. We're not told why it's so big, but I've got a pretty good guess. Because it is enormous. And you, you, once you even account for all the animals and all the ways that they store the massive amounts of food that was necessary to feed these animals and Noah's family for about a year. <coughs> Excuse me you still got a lot of room left over. Why is it so big? I think 2 Peter 3, 9 is why it's so big. Listen to it. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. 
here's the important part, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Did he know that it was just going to be Noah and his family that got on the ark? Yes. He is sovereign. He is omniscient. He knows these things, right? I think he may have built the ark so big, had the ark built so big, so that if someone wanted safety, if they wanted to get on the ark, if they were willing to put themselves on the back burner, willing to put their agenda aside, willing to submit to him and stop being rebellious against him, but lovingly, devotedly follow him, would he have let them on the ark? Yeah. It's got room for tens of thousands of people. It doesn't have to be that big. Once you account for all the animals, all the food, all the stuff, it doesn't have to be nearly that big. So why is it that big? I think he's hoping, even though he knows what's actually going to happen, I think he's hoping that one more will come onto the ark. One more will give up their life of rebellion and come to him. I think he's hoping for tens of thousands to do that, but they don't. I think today he's hoping for one more to come to him. I think today he's hoping for tens of thousands, millions to come to him. Let me take you over to John 14. John chapter 14. We read this uh, passage sometimes at funerals because it's such a comforting thought uh, for those that have lost loved ones, but I think it's a powerful thought for us this morning too. John chapter 14. Verse 1, and if you're, if you're reading the King James translation, you're going to see mansions here. I think that's an interesting translation. If you're reading some of the other ones, you're going to see rooms. Uh, I think both maybe convey the, the concept that we want to get across today. It's John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. The apostles have heard Jesus saying that he is leaving them, and they are, read it, terrified. They don't know what to do. Uh, he's, they've been following him for almost three years at this point. And now he's saying, I'm going to have to leave you, but it's a good thing that I'm leaving because I'm sending in a helper, a, a comforter who's going to come alongside you, and he's going to be better than, than uh, he's going to be able to comfort you more than, more than I'm able to comfort you. And he's going to do some things that are just really incredible. And, and he's going to move the kingdom, move people toward the kingdom, and you, you want him to come, but for him to come, I've got to leave. And so Jesus says, I'm leaving. And the disciples say, we don't want you to leave. <laughs> we like things just the way they are. You stay with us. And, and the kingdom will come and we'll take over Rome and it'll be amazing. We'll kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. And he said, no, nah, you still don't get it. But he, they're going to get it. There's coming a day when they're going to get it. But right now they're just scared because he's leaving. And they don't want him to leave. But listen to what he says in John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. There's that word. You might want to underline rooms. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So there's room for one more in heaven. If you stop and think about how many saved people there are across history. Abraham and Moses and Noah and 
who all's going to be there. And I don't know, but there's a ton of saved people that are going to be there. And so you might start thinking, well, is there room left for me? And Jesus says, there's room. This word he uses for mansions or rooms, however it's translated, is literally there's space for you. God's carved out a hole, a niche, a space, a room, a place for you. There's plenty of room in heaven for you if you're willing to submit. If you're willing to lay down your rebellious attitude and follow Him. Flip back over to 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 21. We've talked a lot about the safe space. When Katrina hit, they thought the Superdome was the safe place. About day two, the hurricane, the gale force winds ripped a part of the roof off of the Superdome. It started raining inside of it. Five to seven feet of water is pushing up against the walls. It's tearing apart, ruining the generator. Eventually, they're going to be sitting in darkness, complete and utter darkness, in the rain. It's not a safe spot, was it? They thought it was safe. Turns out, it wasn't safe. The people in Noah's day had to be looking for a safe spot. They probably ran up to the top of the mountains, but there was no safe spot. At the end of time, when judgment comes again, and it will come again, But when it does, Revelation, he tells us that people are going to be hiding under rocks looking for a safe spot to ride out the judgment. But it won't be safe there either, will it? There's only one safe spot. In this coming judgment, there's only one safe spot. He tells you what that safe spot is here. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's back up to verse 20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. He's loving God, right? And he waits for people. He waited until sin had reached its pinnacle. When the thoughts of everyone all the time was nothing but evil. How long did it take people to get to that point? I don't know. We're We're not told specifically in scripture. But he waited for that duration until every single person except one only thought evil thoughts all the time. He's patient, right? Wanting one more to come to him, waiting till the last second to judge. But judge he will. Pick up in verse 20. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. He says the safe spot in Noah's day was inside the ark. Only eight people took advantage of that. Everyone else was condemned and destroyed like they had never existed. Blotted out, erased. But eight people took advantage of the salvation, of the safety inside the ark. And he says, baptism is just like that. It's the one safe place in the coming judgment of Christ. Baptism, being inside Christ, is the safe spot. It's the only safe place. There is no other refuge. 
There's nowhere else you can run to. There's nowhere else you can go where there will be safety in this coming judgment. It's only inside of Christ. You get inside of Christ through the power of baptism. This new judgment, when it comes, people will not be obliterated. Will they? they will not be erased as if they were never existed. There will be continuous torture in hell. The good news is that that's not a for sure thing for us. It doesn't have to be a foregone conclusion for you. In fact, there's a way out of that judgment. There's a way, a safe place. But the only safe place is inside of Christ. Peter tells us, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. It's not a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal toward to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this morning, where are you? Are you ready to give up your rebellious attitude toward God and submit to Him? And through the power of baptism, He washes your sins away and you become safe from this coming judgment. But only inside of Christ. It's the one safe place. Hell is not a foregone conclusion for God's people. In fact, it's not what He wants for anybody. He wants everyone to come to Him in repentance. Will you be that person today? Judgment's coming. He has and He will judge. You make sure you're in the safe place. This morning, maybe you have already made the decision and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. We want to help you in any way we can. Won't you come as we stand and sing?
Good morning, church family. Hope everybody's doing all right. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. Uh, if you can, please take a moment to fill out a visitor card so we can have record of your attendance. We'd greatly appreciate that. Um, first off, I'd like to thank everyone who helped with Vacation Bible School. Um, it would not have been a success without your help. And also, thank you for everybody who brought their kids and uh, neighbors uh, to that event. Uh, it was We talked about um, how God helps us with our attitudes. Um, we averaged about 65 kids and 75 adults a week, so we averaged probably about 130 um, each night. So we, I would say it was a success. We beat last year's numbers uh, for Vacation Bible School, so thank you everybody who helped out with that. Um, also, we fed the homeless yesterday at the park in front of Pullman Square. First time I've ever been to that park. Um, beautiful park. Um, uh, we fed eight pizzas to the homeless there. Um, we, then we took some of them to the city mission and fed them there as well. Um, some pizzas. Uh, we had uh, 11 adults go to that and six uh, kids go to, uh, to that to feed the homeless. Um, it was a great uh, and uplifting time spiritually, and uh, we had a prayer before we left. Um, but uh, I do encourage you, if we do that again, uh, that uh, you please join us. We'd love to have you. Um, updates on activities. Middle school and high school devotional tonight after our services. Uh, we'll be playing uh, Sam Moore. We'll be having the devotional, and we'll be playing Halo Ball. Uh, if you don't know what Halo Ball is, it's, it's set up in the middle foyer. A lot of people have asked about it, but um, it's a lot of fun. Kids will have a blast. Um, also, um, there's a lot of sign-up sheets on the foyer board. We have a lot going on this summer. Um, we need, if you're planning on attending um, either uh, Young at Heart, um, we're also going to the ARC. Chris mentioned earlier, and I think he mentioned it. I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm joking, Chris. Great lesson, brother. <laughs> um, also, the father and son camp out at Leap's Cabin. We're doing that as well. Um, we need for you to sign up so that way we know who's going to these events and we can plan accordingly uh, for these events. So uh, please sign up, check the bulletin board out, and uh, sign up as soon as possible. Updates on our prayer list. Um, we have a request to pray for Murda Calico. This is Beverly Edwards' great aunt. And uh, she's at St. Mary's with several health issues. So if you can, uh, keep her in your prayers. Um, also, remember, continue to keep Sandy Galloway in your prayers, uh, Carolyn Hall, Charlie Boso, Darren Baker, and Peg and Roger Pryor, and so many others that are going through uh, situations and illnesses that need to be on our daily prayer list uh, throughout this week. Uh, that's all the announcements I have this, this morning. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's play stand again. We'll sing hymn number 643, The Lord My Shepherd Is. <clears throat> we'll sing all three verses, and then Brother Gary Leap will lead us in prayer. The Lord My Shepherd
bow with me, please. Father, we come to you again thanking you for this time that we've had to spend here together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, we're just thankful that we're able to be out this morning and and we're mindful of those who aren't able to be here and those who are shut in. And we pray, Father, that you will bless and, and comfort them and they'll be able to be back and worship with us soon. Father, we are thankful for the uh, vacation Bible school that we had this past week and for the children that was here and and the love that was showed all week. And we pray, Father, that, uh, that uh, it will uh, keep an influence on them and, and also on, on the adults who were here, Father, and, and those who participated were so thankful. And, and for the good works yesterday evening, Father, for uh, feeding the homeless, and we're thankful for those youth uh, that got together, and, and we continue to pray for, for good works. And, and, Father, for our life groups, uh, getting back together, Father, and, and the projects that uh, we're trying to get planned, we, we just pray for good success there, Father, not, to, not only in the congregation, but, but outside, Father, in the community, that uh, many works will be, good works will be done. Father, we're mindful of those uh, who are sick. There were so many mentioned in our Bible class this morning, Father, and uh, we pray that you'll be with those. And, and Father, we uh, pray for Beverly's aunt, uh, Myrta Calicote, that you'll bless her. And, and Father, those who are, are, are battling cancer and whatever sickness there be, and, and Father, those especially who are taking treatments this time, we pray that you'll bid Jennifer Baker and, and Bless her and Jim Haney and, and Danny Wheeler and, and Father, there's others uh, who are hurting and, and we pray God for Sandy Galloway and her surgery goes well this week. Father, be with the doctors who be attending to her. We thank you, Father, for all that you do for us. We thank you for this congregation and we're thankful for those who uh, visited with us this morning and we pray, Father, that you'll be with them uh, as they travel and be with those from this congregation who are traveling. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. 